We're going to tackle a big topic over the next six weeks or so, the next month and a half. We're going to talk about the inner life. We're going to talk about um, the competing voices that we all sort of hear in our head, the messages that are put before us. Um, and we chose this idea of um, the sucker punch. Um, Someone else suggested it, but then I got to thinking about um, the, on the two occasions where I've been punched. It's hard to believe with a moneymaker like this that I don't do everything I can to protect it. Um, there was the, the incident on the middle school bus that we'll just skip over today. <clears throat> but when I was actually a college student, um, I, was, uh, I was sitting with a group of people doing something and um, there was a pretty profound misunderstanding that took place between me and someone that was uh, actually a teammate on the baseball team where I, where I went to college. And, um, and I remember sitting here, sitting there this day, we were, uh, the entire team was together, um, we were working on a project, and, um, and these two guys, two, two of the teammates came in the, the room where we all were. Um, there had been a little mystery as to why they weren't there in the first place, um, so, um, but, but they, they came walking in, they happened to be brothers, the two of them, and, uh, and as they, they walked in the room, I was getting, like, more than the stink eye, right? Like, I was getting the laser eyes, like, the, the, like if someone could kill me with their eyes, I was getting those eyes, and I, I didn't know what this was about, and, um, and uh, another, another teammate and I were sitting next to each other, and before we knew it, these two guys had walked behind us, and they hit us, one of them hit me on the back of my head. Um, and, uh, and, and the other guy got, the other, a fourth teammate, the other guy sitting next to me got hit even harder, and it was, it was like the definition of a sucker punch, right? Like, these guys came in and from behind hit us. It, it's one thing, now, I probably, you know, I probably have deserved to be hit many more times than I actually have been hit, um, but, but on this occasion, I really didn't deserve what I was getting, um, and, and it, was a, it was a complete, just shock to me. I didn't see it coming, right? And, and when we start to talk about temptation, we want to make something clear. Um, this is, this is, a, this is a, a, temptation is a battle, it's something that takes place, it's something that goes on in our lives that we, we don't get to, to be ready for how it's going to happen, okay? We don't, we, we get sort of like like game tape from what's gone on in other people's lives or in the past with our lives to sort of pick up on trends, but, but we believe something is true. And, and that thing is that there's an enemy of God's, and he is out to ruin us. When God gets glory through our lives, it is the one thing that he's fighting against. And so he's doing everything that he can to suppress that, to keep it from happening. And he's not... The, He's not playing by rules that we get to dictate. We get to, he doesn't wait for us to get ready for this fight. It's happening. Okay? And so we're going to be talking about temptation. We're going to be talking about temptation. And today we're going to talk about when our guard is down. We're going to, starting off this series talking about the idea that, that most often attack comes when we're not ready for it. It's a surprise. It, it hits us in an unlikely place. And so we want to... We want to Simply say this, temptation is, okay? This is what we think temptation is. It's a moment or circumstance that presents alternative options for action or belief and tests whether or not the tempted one will be faithful to a previously stated allegiance, okay? So a lot of words to say this. 
you're going to walk through life and you're going to be presented with options, okay? You're going to be presented with options. And in fact, you're probably going to be presented with many alternative options. This is not just a simple fork in the road, but rather it's a, it's a branch where the tributaries go out in many different directions. And what you saw in the video and even in the drama is this notion that, that all of these little moments, these options, these alternative uh, um, opportunities are coming before us, and the ones that we choose lead us down a path, and, and then though, that presents us with other choices, and then further choices still, and further choices still. And, and, and the enemy, God's enemy, the devil, is, is at work in our world to try and keep you moving towards a destination of his choosing. Okay? And there are many paths that lead there. Okay? Many paths. So to set this up, we would need to talk about, there's, 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 there's some questions that come up. There's some questions that, that we need to, to deal with. And the, the first question that just sort of for us to wrestle with is this idea of where does temptation come from? Where does it come from? And this, in the scriptures, I'm going to do this, not do this justice. I would encourage you, we'll, we're going to be giving you some resources throughout this series, but I encourage you to look at these things. Well, the first place that the scriptures talk about the, the temptation coming from is this idea of the world. World is shorthand for just all of the stuff around us that's kind of pressuring us into certain decisions or becoming a certain way or a type of person. It's, it's the, we, we, might, we might call it cultural pressure or even localized as peer pressure, but it's just sort of all the stuff around us that, that operates in a way that, that is just sort of moving along in a stream. And the pressure of the world is trying to get you in that current. It's trying to get you to, to move along with the way that everything else around you is moving. So the values of the world around you, okay? Now, here's what the scriptures also say about the world. They tell us that the world, right now, it's, it's, it's occupied territory, that, that they're the, the king of this world, okay, the one who has control here is our enemy, is, is the devil. And so, so the, the system of the world is a system that's at opposition to God's agenda of making us more like Christ, okay? And so, so we've, we know that in temptation, some, sometimes it's, we would say, like, we identify and say it's, it's the world, it's, it's all the pressure around me that's sort of pressing on me, trying to get me to value things that aren't quite as valuable as they, they ought to be, or, or as I ought to value them. It's trying to get me to, to move in a direction in my relationships with other people that treats them as obstacles or enemies and, and, and for me to try and get ahead. And this is the thing, every system has its own, every system in the world has its own elements of temptation, okay? Every system has its own elements of temptation, the next thing that the scriptures talk about is the flesh, okay? The flesh. And the flesh is just sort of what I naturally do if nothing engages with me. This is a big idea for us culturally right now because we'll, we'll actually even argue in favor of the flesh at times. We'll say, well, that's just who I am. That's just the way I, I'm, I am. And, and this, it's this idea that, that I have preferences and tendencies and the, the way I want to do things. I have proclivities that, that lead me in certain directions. And, and, 
my desires are important and, and, and I need to have my desires met in certain ways. And so the flesh, the scripture uses the flesh sort of as shorthand for what I become if there's nothing to interact with or engage with my natural desires. It's, it's the choices I make when left to myself. I, I, I default towards selfishness. I default towards greed. I default towards lust. Right? And that's the flesh, and the scriptures talk about the flesh. And last but certainly not least is this idea of the devil. It's not an idea, the person of the devil, this, this entity that exists that, that is actively, strategically setting up opportunities in your life, like catered to your weaknesses and my weaknesses, so that I make decisions that deny the reality of God's work in my life, that try to undo the power of the Spirit in my life, that try to blind me to the truth of the world around me and the work that God's doing. And this is the devil, and, and this is when we say we're fighting an enemy who doesn't play, play by any rules. We're talking about the devil. It may not be, it may be sort of sound culturally odd, to be talking about the devil. We may have diminished the devil culturally. The world system may have diminished the devil to a place where we sort of look at him as a mythical or fictional, fabricated creature. But the scriptures tell us something, that, that he is at war with us. Okay? He's at war. His primary tactic is deception. John 8 tells us that he is the father of lies. The truth is not in him. And so when we encounter deception, when we encounter lies, when we encounter the alternative that tries to get us to move away from God and towards the world, the flesh, we're being tempted by the devil. Now, when we ask, like, I'm being tempted, is it the world, is it the flesh, is it the devil? Uh, the answer is sort of yes, right? See, this is the thing about it. We can pull each of these entities out and talk about them one at a time and say, this is, this is the influence of the world, what it is. This is the influence of the flesh and what it is. This is the influence of the devil and what it is. But when it comes down to a specific moment in my life and in your life where we're tempted, the fact of the matter is, it's not that easy to categorize where this temptation is coming from, okay? And, and for me, perhaps, it's, this, is a, this is a helpful way for me to think about it, I, I tend, rather than thinking about it as a, as a pie with nice slices like that, I tend to think about it as like warm cherry pie, okay? Like, I can, I can get the warm cherry pie out, and I can cut it into however many pieces I choose to cut it into, but that really just alters the crust, right? If it's a good cherry pie, I'm not talking about that like gelatinous stuff that stays together in some kind of weird mold. The good, warm, granny's cherry pie, when you cut through the crust, the filling just is all kind of in there in one ooze, right? It's good ooze, but it's an ooze. And then, you know, to get it out, you got to flip it out of the pan real quick and Filling goes everywhere, and then you fight over who gets the stuff that's leaking out into the recently vacated slice, right? And this is, this is kind of, I'm, I'm, I want, I'm trying to give you a 10-minute sort of 
um, introduction to like the, the operating premises for this series. When we talk about temptation, we view it as, as cherry pie, okay? The question of the current, the present circumstance I find myself in that's trying to draw me away from God, is it the devil? And we would say, sure. Yeah, he's concerned with you and your soul and that it winds up where he wants it and, or you wind up ineffective, that you wind up bound by sin, blocking your relationship with God. Well, we could say, is it, the, is it your flesh? And again, I would say, yes, of course it is. You, have, you and I have desires. And, and if, if, we're, if we're left to ourselves, we just chase those desires. Like, I will default to just wanting my desires met if nothing inter- counteracts my, my desires. Yeah, it's my flesh. And in my present circumstance, is it the world around me? Well, yeah, there's influence in the world around me that's pushing me, it's pressing in on me. It's, it's trying to shape me and move me, mold me into something that, that is going to look like a representative of the cultural forces that are at play when I live and where I live. And so it's not as simple as which one of these, it's, it's how are all of these at play around me, right? It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. These things are warring against our souls. And what we're going to do over the next six weeks, we're going to talk today about sort of opening our eyes and seeing it for what it is, temptation. And then we're going to step through several weeks of looking at specific areas where we're tempted. So I'm I'm intentionally not going to say everything today because we wouldn't get out of here until four or five, okay? And I know you, you will rebel. But also, we want you to come back, right? We want you to come back. But, but more than that, there's just a lot to talk about here and a lot to process. So today, we specifically want to ask, how do we, how do we open our eyes and, and, and tune in and recognize what's going on around us? If you got a Bible, if you got a Bible, would you go to um, Proverbs chapter seven? Proverbs chapter seven. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter seven. We're going to look at. Um, it's a very specific passage about. Even it uses a specific type of temptation or element of temptation. But um, but we actually would say that. Um, that Proverbs chapter 7 is like a template for temptation. It's going to provide like a, a lens through which to view what's going on in our lives in such a way that we can say, when I see these things at work, I'm, I'm engaged in a, in a temptation. And there, are, there is a tempter present. Whatever that temptation is, it's provided to me, it's given to me by a tempter. And then the, the conditions in me that make me susceptible to this temptation. And so let's take a look at Proverbs 7, and we're going to look at the entire chapter. And so if you'd, um, if you'd read with me, Proverbs chapter 7, verse 1, it says, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you, 
Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I've looked out through the lattice, and I've seen among the simple. I have perceived among the youths a man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with a bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to, my, to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways, and do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Now, we get this picture from, from Proverbs 7 of, of this temptation that's presented to this young man. And what we want to do is I want to step back through some of the conditions that are there and some of the things that are said and try to, try to say, it, how is it that we see those same conditions true in us and true in our circumstances in ways that we can recognize, we can identify that what's happening in my life right now, I'm hearing something in my head. Is it just myself? Is it just me talking internally? Is there more to this? Okay. And so the first thing that I want to, we want to look at is as, as this passage begins, the stakes are set pretty high. Did you see this? The stakes are set pretty high. Look at, look at verse 2. Keep my commandments and live. Okay? Now, there's a way of saying this, keep my commandments as a way of life, but it's actually kind of telling us, like, if you, if you do this, it leads to life. Okay? And, of course, the end of this passage sets it up in such a way that says, if you don't, here are the consequences. Okay? Here are the consequences. So, as, so, so it talks about, and then it uses this language of like, like bind this on your fingers. Verses 3, 4, say to wisdom, you are my sister. Call insight your intimate friend. We're, we're implored here to, that, that what we're about to hear, the, the conditions that we're about to be told, that we've got to avoid distraction. We've got to be able to focus on this. This is a matter of life or death, and we've got to be able to... to take our attention and put it on this subject and then not forget it. Because the pressure of this world, what you saw in the, in the reading, in the drama, what is, is that there's a pressure of this world to just 
sort of lose sight of what's most important in favor of what's kind of immediate or tangible. And what's being said here in Proverbs, it really does line up with, it, it, it sort of, it acknowledges what I know to be true in my experience, which is just my default mode is towards the trivial. My, if, if I'm not attentive to what's most important, I wind up thinking about things that just aren't that important. I wind up, I wind up distracted in places and in ways that, that are very temporal. And I, I think that's probably true for all of us. And I think that it's true for all of us in a way that going back 3,000 years, Solomon writes here and says, listen, this isn't going to just happen naturally for us. We're not going to avoid temptation as some sort of natural path. If we're going to do this, we've got to pay special attention to this. We've got to make it, we've got to place it front and center. We've got to be aware of it. And in verse 6, it tells us this. Look at what it says again. Now at the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I've seen among the simple, perceived among the youth, a young man lacking sense. Now, there's a perspective shift here, right? The, the, the passage is told in a way that you have someone who's up in the window and they're looking down. They have kind of a bird's eye view of the temptation. Okay? Now, this is a helpful exercise, is it not? The perspective shift. Isn't it helpful to be able to look at this in our own lives, to be able to look back at the times that we failed, the times that, that we've given in to temptation, and to be able to sit up in the window and to look back at what we did and say, here's where it went. Or even, we're really good at this, aren't we? To sort of sit in our own window, metaphorically, and look out at what others are doing and say, that's going to lead to trouble. Look at what you're doing, you're playing with fire. But the real task is for us to remember that in so many ways, we're not the one in the window. We're the one down on the street, verse 7. We're the one on the street. It's an interesting thing that's said there in verse 7 where it talks about this young man lacking sense. It's kind of a, or your translation might say it calls him simple, simple-minded. So it's a weird word, and in the Hebrew where it comes from, it's got a lot of richness and depth to it. It actually comes from this idea of, of lacking heart would be a better translation. But we think about lacking heart as maybe passion. Um, but but this, this lacking of heart is actually this idea of sort of, this is someone who has, who has lacked like the will to, to do what's necessary in order to pursue the right path. It's sort of like willful immaturity, willful ignorance. I, I'm, I'm unwilling to pay the price. It's talking about... Our lack of willingness to pay the price to do what's necessary to become the kind of person who's guarded against the temptation that's coming. Okay? And so we could say this that in the battle of temptation, in the battle of temptation, the first thing that we find is that in many ways we are prime candidates because we're not ready for this battle. We sort of choose like a willful ignorance in areas of our life. I'd rather not know, I'd rather not explore, I'd rather just stay shallow, and then I don't have to deal with the stuff of life that actually is at war in my soul. I'm just going to kind of skate by. 
And Solomon here in Proverbs 7 is warning us and saying, that is a mindset that's going to lead you somewhere. You are ripe, and I am ripe for temptation in the areas of my life where I say, eh, I'd rather not know. I'd rather just stay simple. I'd rather just keep it all nice and shallow here. And I'd ask you, what are those areas? What are the areas where you're unwilling to really consider what happens if I, if I chase down this way? Are there areas of your life where, where you've closed off the voice of God speaking into those areas? Is it your finances? I know for me it happens a lot in that area. Is it your sexuality? I don't really want to know what the consequences of this are. Is it the way you you try to exert power and use that without thinking about really processing, prayerfully considering what it's doing in your own life, in the lives of those around you? I don't know for you. Is it in consumption? It's clear I wrestle with the plate. What's another helping going to hurt? It's not really that important, right? I choose willful ignorance in these areas of my life. And what Solomon's writing here and saying is, you you might be primed for temptation in those areas. If If we're unwilling to go beneath the surface, we're like this young man lacking sense in verse 7. And so he goes out and he, he, it says he wanders near her corner, verse 8. He passes near her corner. He takes the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Notice the conditions it's setting up. Where is he going? When is he going there? Those are not the times where really good, profitable things happen, right? I'd like to think, this is what I'd like to believe, I'd like to think that most often uh, I, I'm in temp- I've fallen, I've been tempted, and I've given in because I just sort of stumbled into it, right? That's not exactly what Proverbs 7 here, says here. What we're talking about is, is there's, there's, this is territory that this person knows to be vulnerable. Look where he goes near her corner. He's getting as close to her place as he can. When he goes... Darkness is always a cover, right? We, we see this in the scriptures. Darkness is always a cover. It's, it's always an, a point in time where the idea is no one sees me here. What I'm doing is just me. I'm alone. What do we do in the dark? What do we do when no one's around? What are we, what are we, what are we hiding? Where are the areas in our life where we go there without, without really the consideration for what potential damage could, could happen in that known vulnerable territory. And once we're there, we see more. She comes out to meet him. Look at the things. There's this list of things, and I want to hit them, go back through them and hit them one by one. Look at what it says. It says, she, uh, the woman meets him in verse 10. She's dressed as a prostitute. There's an allurement that's there. We're, there's, there's an alluring element to temptation. It says, she's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Temptation is not subtle. See, this is the idea. We get this idea that like there's a tiny pebble in the road that tripped me up. Like I was 
But the, the fact of the matter is we've wandered into a place where we're like inviting it. And once we're there, we're looking for it. And it's, it's advertising, right? It says more on the, in that vein. In the street, in the market, verse 11, at every corner she lies in wait. This temptation is everywhere, isn't it? Like if you're going to be honest with yourself, if you're going to be honest with yourself, the moment that we step out of here and, 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 and get into our vehicle, we're going to be surrounded by temptation. Be, you can even back it up from there. The moment you get up out of your chair, you're going to be tempted to view things in a certain way. Forget that. Right now, there are voices that are speaking in this room, in our, in our heads, that are telling us that the scriptures are to be marginalized. Don't take this too seriously. It's happening all the time. It's ubiquitous. You can't avoid it. There is no lifestyle you can lead that's going to take you, remove you from the presentation of temptation. It's everywhere. So verse 13, she seizes him, kisses him. The temptation initiates with a bold face, she says, verse 14. I had to offer sacrifice Today I paid my vows. Temptation manipulates us, doesn't it? If I could just sort of reword this, it's like the temptation says this. It's okay. This is going to be okay with God. Like, it's all right. Like, what, what you're about to engage in, it may take on different forms for us, right? It may say, like, God doesn't care about this is one way. But it might also say, you can always ask forgiveness later. Like, Last week, we talked about God's grace. We can take God's grace for granted in such a way that we say, this isn't a big deal because God forgives me before I even sin, he forgives me. It's, that's a version of this, of this temptation that, that it's okay. I've, we're good with God. It's manipulative. Verse 15, I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. I've found you. There's flattery in this, isn't there? You're the one. Perhaps it's materialism. And, and, and this idea that I found the deal, right? It's, it's good, or not Good Friday, oh my goodness. Black Friday, sorry, those two things are very different. It's Black Friday syndrome, isn't it? I got up at 4 a.m., but listen, look at all the deals I got on all this stuff that no one really wants, okay? But I got it. There's like a flattery in it. You found me. It says, the perfect dress, the perfect car, the perfect, you did it. Even in, in, it uses sexual temptation here, but in sexual temptation, it's the same way, isn't it? This is, it's all about you. You are the one. You are in control. You are desirable. It's sensual, verses 16 and 17. The couch is covered in fine linens. The bed is perfumed. Verse 18, it says, come let us take our fill of love till morning. Doesn't temptation oftentimes tempt us with like a false satisfaction? This is going to fulfill you. It's what temptation says. If you just spend this money you don't have, if you just engage in this relationship that is illegitimate, if you just power up on this person in a way that you show them that you're in charge, you're in control. It promises like a sort of fulfillment, a satisfaction. 
And that's what temptation does to us. It says you can have what you want without having to go through the hard work of getting it the right way. And that's temptation. And then she says pretty clearly, there's a calculation, right? My husband's not at home in verse 19. Verse 20, he took a bag of money. He won't even come back until the next full moon. Like, we're, you're not going to get caught. Isn't that, like, if, when we hear these things in our head, when this is the voice, the, 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 the notion that this doesn't matter, it, it only affects you, no one's going to know, my husband is gone, you're not going to get caught. You're being tempted. I'm being tempted. It's clear, right? So that's what the temptation sounds like. But she persuades him, and temptation persuades us, right? And again, if any of us think, or if, if we have a tendency to think, oops, I stumbled into it, Look at verse 22, it says, all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or a stag is caught fast. It's not so simple as I went into this unwilling, like I can make excuses for myself. I was dragged into it in ways that I didn't really want. We know what happens, right? We get to a place where we're presented with the temptation and then we jump in and it's, it's like a reflexive response. Like we've stopped engaging with, with real rational choices and now we're just responding to stimuli. I like how this feels. I'm getting the immediate rush out of it. It's providing me with some sort of feeling or, or emotion or, or some, some, sort of, um, some sort of way of reasoning through my current circumstance that I'm finding fulfillment in and I'm just reflexively now down this path in a way that I'm not even, I'm not even really processing the consequences of my choice. And I don't know about you, but I find myself there all the time. I find myself looking back and going, what have I done? This is not what I signed up for. If you're a person of a certain age, you may remember uh, public service announcements, PSAs in the 80s. It was a big uh, part of the say no to drugs thing. It was a, a kid's voice saying, when I grow up, I want to be an Olympic runner, right? And there's a guy running away from the police. Remember these? It said, and it would say, no child ever says they want to be a junkie, right? Well, there's, some, there's truth in that, right? Like, we don't, we don't wake up one day and say, oh, by the way, today I think I'm going to become a person who's so consumed by my greed that I'm using all the people around me to get rich and I have no relationships left. Today, when I wake up, I want to become a person who's so consumed by my sexual addiction that I, I, I can't even have relational intimacy with anyone around me. It's so colored and, and, and shaded, all of my relationships. No one ever says, I want to die alone because I've distanced myself from everyone in such a way because of the power that I've 
used on everyone to try and get my way, my pride and arrogance. No one ever, you don't wait, no one says that. It just happens over time as we make these choices, right? And so he wraps up this passage, verse 24. Listen and be attentive. Let not your heart, verse 25, turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. She has many victims. She's laid them low. She has killed or slain a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. We're back to this idea that the stakes, this is typical wisdom literature, the stakes are life and death. So let's take a look at a couple takeaways on this. The first thing out of Proverbs chapter 7 would be this. The first things we want to leave you with on temptation. Temptation is a matter of life and death. Okay? It's a matter of life and death. The, the, the tendency that we have is to say, it's almost like it's so common and it's so ubiquitous, everybody's struggling with it in such a way that it really can't be that big a deal. But the scriptures are clear, right? Romans 6, the wages of sin. If we give in to temptation, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's nice that there's a, that's a, that's a, there's a but in that verse, right? But get this, the path of temptation, the destination that temptation leads us to is death. It very well may be a very tangible, real, physical death, but, but on even, quite frankly, even more important than a physical death, the path of temptation leads to spiritual death, distance from our God who created us and made us and loves us. And we can't, we, we can't allow that distance to perpetuate. It's life and death. The stakes are really high. The second thing we'd say here is to take the small decisions seriously. This is kind of following up, right? This could be 1A, 1B. Takes the small decisions seriously. Again, we have this... We, this is, it's part of the temptation mix to convince us that this one particular moment isn't that important. This one time that I choose greed over gift isn't that big a deal. This one time that I choose sexual gratification over sexual purity isn't that big a deal. This one time that I choose the, the extra helping versus versus saying no, isn't a big deal. It doesn't matter. But you see, also in the wisdom literature in Ecclesiastes, it says God will bring every deed into judgment, every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil, every. There's a ubiquity to this. Everything matters. One of the lies of temptation is that this one doesn't matter. But they all matter. There's no like calling a timeout and saying, for the next 60 minutes, I get a pass. This isn't, remember where we started, this is an enemy who will not acknowledge your rules of, of engagement. He's not going to say that yes, well, he will say it's okay, but the Lord's not going to say it's okay. 
for me to just have this area of my life where I'm just going to kind of do what I want. It's a small area. God wants to penetrate there, and Satan is going to try and keep that area, keep that part of your life hidden by any means possible. He's relentless in trying to persuade you that the little things don't matter. Don't sweat the small stuff, right? But when it comes to temptation, when it comes to sin in our life, when it comes to the things, that the practices, the beliefs that we engage in that separate us from God, there's no little things. There are things that bring immediate physical danger and things that bring long-term spiritual danger. There's no such thing as just a little thing. Do we understand that? That's critical. But ultimately, where's God in Proverbs 7, (laughs) right? We would say this, the life of Christ produces victory. It's the life of Christ that produces victory. Look at what the scriptures say. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. You see, Christ has already proven victorious over sin. His death gives us victory. Romans 6, maybe. Romans 6 says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. How do we find victory here? Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us, Therefore, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Filling, or fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, what Proverbs 7 foretells by saying this, don't let your heart turn aside, right? Like, the, 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 the practical answer is this. If you're aiming for something, don't even aim, don't let your aim be off by just a little bit. Stay on this path. Don't waver from it. Follow the yellow brick road, right? Stay on it. What Proverbs is foretelling is this. Fix your eyes on Jesus. How do we avoid, when there's so many ways to be tempted, How do we avoid them? We avoid them. We can't. You ought to know how you're susceptible, but the answer every time is this. Stop focusing on the thing and fix your eyes on Jesus. That's how we stay on the path. That's how we don't turn aside to temptation. Now, this this really is part one. I hope you have a lot of questions because this week, I want you to go to a cell group and I want you to start to unpack this with people. And we want you to come back next week and we're going to talk about temptations of control and interpreting reality in a way that suits us. And we're going to move on and talk about specifically sensual temptation. Beyond that. And more and more. But we ought to be able to recognize temptation. We need to acknowledge its presence all around us. And hear it for what it says. It says, 